Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being a part of our service. If you're our guests, we especially thank you for being with us. And I want to take a moment and just invite you to hang around for a few minutes after our services are over and allow us to get acquainted with you and you with us so that maybe you'll decide that this will be your church home. I'm biased. I don't mind saying that. We'd love to have you be a part of our family. And so I just want to invite you to hang around for a few minutes and get acquainted with us and us with you so this could perhaps be your church home. We're going to talk about grace and mercy this morning, uh, probably in a little bit different perspective than maybe you would expect when you see the title of this sermon, Grace and Mercy. Um, I'm going to share some things with you this morning that um, I hope will help put our lives in Christ in perspective and put us collectively as a church and what we do together in a perspective that will be helpful and beneficial to us and encouraging to us all. You know, when you think about grace and mercy, the, the definitions that keep coming into my head, and I learned this a long, long time ago from a fellow by the name of Joe Beam. Joe's now in Franklin, Tennessee. He's been a preacher and counselor for a long time. I won't say how many years, but Joe used to have this expression. He says, grace, grace and mercy, one of them means when you don't get what you deserve, and the other means uh, when you get something you don't deserve. And if you think about that, there's a lot of truth to those very, very simple definitions. It's the one when we don't get what we deserve, and when we do get something we don't deserve, grace being the first one. I get something I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve, because the reality is I deserve to go to hell. Sounds pretty blunt from a preacher, yes? But the reality is, um, unless I'm mistaken, we all deserve that because the book says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yes? Amen. Amen. Yes, that's what the book says. And if we've all fallen short of the glory of God, the right judgment would be, it's been nice knowing you, but it's going to be warm on the other side. The beauty of it is Jesus came, and he died on a cross, and he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets, Right? He fulfilled it all. Is that an amen? On Sunday, yes, he fulfilled it all. And, and as a result of his ultimate sacrifice for us all, we get to receive what? We get to receive the grace of God, which means <laughs> we get something we don't deserve because none of us really deserve to get to go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we really don't. Let's just be honest. Let's just lay the cards on the table and be honest with ourselves. We don't really deserve it. Now, I know some of you think you do, but you don't. You just don't. Paul makes this statement in Galatians. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And it's this righteousness could be gained through the law that I want to spend a few minutes talking with us about this morning. I want to put this text in context just a little bit more because I want us to look at some of our customs as people in God's kingdom, most especially some of our customs, what we do when we come together on Sunday and think about that. If you have your Bibles, if you have the Pew Bible on page 824, there's a verse of scripture beginning in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It's on page 824, second column. It reads like this. When Peter came to Antioch, I oppose, Paul is writing this. He says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came to, from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, you got to understand something. This man, Peter, was what? He was an apostle 
and follower of Jesus Christ. But who was he afraid of? The circumcision group. Who were they? They were Jewish leaders in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who happened to live in and around Jerusalem. And they came to visit him. And he was in another city and he'd been living like the Gentiles, which meant, for lack of a better uh, explanation, he probably ate without washing his hands. Any of you ever been guilty of that? Okay, three of us have. Good for you. All guys, by the way, raise their hands. No woman in the room. Raise their hand. All right, so Paul, Paul is calling him out. Basically, he's calling him out. He said, the other joints have now joined in this hypocrisy. So by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And Barnabas was Paul's co-worker, remember? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And what were those customs? Washing hands was one. And there were others. And there were others. We here are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not let me say that again. We know that he is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith and not by observing the law, because the observing the law, by observing the law, no one will be justified. So here's the catch and here's the rub. How many customs do we have that we expect to be mandated and abide by and, and enforced and practiced in our assemblies and our church services that we believe are absolute? Customs that we made up. Paul writes in Corinthians, What shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, tongue, or interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church might be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord people. And the church said, you ever been in a church like that, though? Uh, no. Why is that? Well, our explanation is because this was a miraculous time when the Holy Spirit allowed those who were in the churches to have the gift of speaking in tongues, which we have interpreted to be speaking in other languages, and I believe that to be a true interpretation. I speak English, barely. I don't speak Spanish very well. There are a few things I can do in Spanish. I can say a few words. I can almost communicate like a two-year-old. You know what I mean? So you don't want me speaking or preaching the rest of this sermon in Spanish. There are a handful of you. Well, I think you can speak Spanish, yes, a little bit. Poquito, poquito mas, no mas, no more. Sister Acosta, would you come translate? I know she can speak Spanish. But I'm not going to speak any more to you in Spanish. I won't say any more words in Spanish because you wouldn't understand it. You've never been in a church service where there were people speaking in different languages. Unless you've been to Mexico. And if you go to Mexico, like I'm going Saturday, sometimes we speak in different languages in the church. But there's always an interpreter. Because what good does it 
What, what good does it at all for you to hear a sermon in another language and you don't know anything about it? That's silly, isn't it? But now what about these two or three people have something to say? Some of you, and I hope he's watching. Billy, if you're watching, good morning. God bless you. He's been in the hospital. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's home. I haven't heard. But Billy Allman used to worship with us. You remember the family? Billy and Allman and, and the whole group. And Billy used to sit right over here when Jason was preaching. And more than once, Billy had the audacity to speak up in the middle of Jason's sermon. Do you guys remember that? It was great. It was wonderful. And all y'all are chicken to do that with me. You might say an amen. If I quote the King James, will you say amen? Amen, yes, yes. You get what I'm coming from? We, we, we are just so accustomed to the preacher preaching and everybody else being quiet and listening to what the preacher has to say. But I'm not sure that's what a worship service in the first century would have looked like at all. I don't think it would have looked like that at all. So which is correct? Ours or theirs? Well, I can tell you the answer to that. Ours. <laughs> because that's what we like. And that's our tradition and that's our custom. And if you think that's not enough, I just want you to pull out your order of worship. Would, would some of you take a look at this? Do you, do you, can you imagine and believe that our song leader... Brandon has the audacity to change our order of worship. It used to be two songs and a prayer and a song and the Lord's Supper and a sermon and a closing song and we would go. What happened to that, Brandon? <laughs> a song and then announcements and then a prayer and then 17 songs. <laughs> I'm being facetious. I am. So which is right? Two songs and a prayer or 17 songs and a prayer and announcements and a video about Christmas? Which is correct? People ask me questions sometimes. Ed, would you like to have uh, fried chicken or would you like to have roast beef? And my answer is yes. <laughs> because I enjoy both. And neither are wrong. If Brandon shows up next week, and I don't think he'll do this unless it's just tongue-in-cheek and he's pulling my chains... I don't think we're going to show up next Sunday and there's two songs of prayer, another song and the Lord's Supper and the sermon and we go home. He's pointing at me because he just might do it. And it would be great because we can all go eat earlier. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. I haven't had breakfast yet, personally. All I'm offering to you is, guys, we, we have an enormous number of traditions in our church and they're good traditions in our church and there's nothing wrong with any of them. But it doesn't mean it's the only way to ever do anything. You get what I'm saying? Amen. And then there's this one. I love this one. In Acts 20, there's this little story about Paul where he's, pre he's speaking with this group of people on the first day of the week when we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. All the more reason for long sermons. Amen? Amen. Amen. I have one brother in the back who agrees. He's preaching next Sunday. There were... There were there were many lamps. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and he picked him up as dead. Paul went down, though, threw himself on the young man and said, he's alive. And then, and then Paul went back upstairs and broke bread and ate. And after talking... Until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive, and they were greatly comforted. 
our dear brother Glenn, a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, shared a conversation with the group that meets on Wednesday night about um, the, the, the importance of a cappella singing in our assemblies. And he, he, he has on occasions, and I appreciate it, and I, I tend to agree with it most of the time, except when I don't like it. Um, but he used an expression about command, example, and necessary inference. Am I, I'm not speaking out of turn, am I? He used that. And that's one, of those, that's one of those ways that we have in our tradition and our fellowship, we've used that command, example, and necessary inference to identify ways to interpret how we would understand and practice things in the New Testament. Is that fair enough? That's what we do. Well, let's apply that to this verse of Scripture, may we? So here's the, here's the example on the first day of the week they came together to break bread. Do we all, do we all agree with that? Yes, sir. Perfect. Uh, when is the first day of the week? Sunday. Good answer. Except in the first century, because in the first century, under the Jewish teaching, which is the true practice of the church in the earliest days of the church, and we're all about restoration of the church, are we not? This is yes, this is no, this is preacher. I don't know where you're going with this, so I'm not going to commit. Okay? The reality is Sunday started at 6 p.m. on what we call Saturday. Because the evening and the morning were the first day. That's what the book of Genesis teaches. And that was the practice of the Jews even to this day. If you're orthodox, it's still. The evening and the morning were the first day. And they gather in the evening on Saturday because that's what they do. And so on the first day of the week, on Saturday evening, they came together and Paul preached till midnight. But now if they followed our calendar and didn't do that, then all of a sudden we have them taking the Lord's Supper on Monday morning because he preached till midnight and after midnight he went back upstairs and they broke the bread and ate. So which is it going to be? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But now the reality is the reality is sometimes we'll look at something in the Bible and we'll say, well, this is what it says and so this is what we have to do because this is the command. Seriously? I don't think God wrote the New Testament that way. Why do you think He instituted this concept of grace and mercy? Paul himself wrote many times, we can't keep the law. The law was fulfilled on the cross. We are not under the law. And yet you and I, because we're people, this is the only reason, because we're people and we feel like we have to make up this stuff so we can keep this stuff so that we can convince ourselves that we're good enough to be God's people. And therefore we will say, this is the command. And on the first day of the week, we will gather together and break bread. But when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, and how often is as often? Did Jesus say, on the first day of the week, thou shalt? He didn't say that. Now we gather on the first day of the week. You want to know why? Because by the end of the first century, going into the second century, if you study history, you'll find that the earliest Christians, it began, I almost fell off. <laughs> Woo! They began to practice, we will come together on the first day of the week because that's what they did, because that's the day that Jesus was resurrected. And the practice has continued for nearly 2,000 years. Is there anything wrong with the practice? No, there's nothing wrong with the practice. And oh, by the way, they went upstairs. We should all be up there. 
because that's where Paul was preaching upstairs. You think I'm being facetious, and I am being facetious, but I'm telling you, if we can make an absolute command out of one part of it, why don't you make it out of the other one? Let me tell you why. Because it isn't convenient, and it isn't expedient to what we want it to be to fit our practice of what we do on Sunday. And the answer is uh, yes. And that's okay. Because I don't think when Paul wrote this, or when the writer of Acts wrote this, I think that was Luke, right? The doctor. I don't think when he wrote this, he was intending for us to look at that and say, oh, they met in the upper room. And oh, by the way, there were many lamps in the upper room. So, oh, by the way, let's go get some lamps. He didn't write it for that. He wrote it to just show us that the church had gathered. And when they had gathered, Paul was going to preach a long time that night because he was leaving and he had so much to share with them. And in the course of sharing with them, they broke bread and they ate. And by the way, just for fun, you can't even tell me absolutely that that was breaking bread for the communion because it doesn't necessarily absolutely mean it's breaking bread for the communion. Or does it? And the answer is yes. Because in many places in the New Testament, when you see the expression breaking bread, it absolutely refers to that. And then there are other times it doesn't necessarily refer to that. And we, we have to decide for ourselves where that fits. In some places it'll fit well and some it won't. And we get to make that decision. How about women? This one is fun. Our brother last week reminded us of it. Remember, he stood right there and he looked at his daughter and he talked about his man supposed to pass the train in the seats. Are you kidding me? That means we got to sit. Man, woman, man, woman, man, woman. We all have assigned seats. I know some of you have assigned seats in the church. Because I was sitting in somebody's seat last week and they came up to me and said, you can't sit there. I think that was Vic. I'm teasing. Guys. Paul writes this. He said, look, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. But must be in submission. As the law says. What law? I just want you to think about that. What law? Paul's law? The law of Moses? What law? If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. What is church? That's an important question. What is church? Assembly. Assembly. Thank you very much. Technically, it means the called out ones. It's from two little Greek words, ekklesia. Kaleo means to call. Ek means out of. Called out of. That means we're the called out ones of the world. And oftentimes in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, if you look at the, the Septuagint, that word ekklesia is talking about the assembling of God's people. We are the church. It's almost like a song. We are the world. We are the church. We are the church. What is the church? We are the church. A woman shouldn't speak in the church. So let me ask you this question. We just had a class over there. How many women spoke up? Don't answer that out loud because I wasn't in there to confirm what you're going to say. I remember 40 or 50 years ago, man, there were some serious knockdown dragouts in churches about whether women could speak up in a Bible class. So any of you remember those conversations or was that just in Alabama? I remember. Thank you, brother. We have one person who's old enough to remember that with me. We used to have those conversations. And we came to the conclusion, it's probably okay for women to ask 
questions and make comments in Bible class. You want to know why? Because it isn't worship. Am I right or not? That's what we came to decide it isn't worship. Well, help me understand when is worship. Worship didn't start when we closed the doors. Worship started when you woke up this morning and you started breathing again. Because I think Jesus said, Jesus said, you'll neither worship in this mountain or that mountain, but you'll worship God how? In spirit and in truth. And where do you do that? Everywhere you go. And I think, I think Paul even wrote in Romans. Paul said this. He said something like this. Your body is your living what? Sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. And this is what? This is your spiritual act of worship. So when are you not alive? When you're dead. And I don't think anyone in here is dead yet. You might wish you were. But you're not. So you see, what I want you to understand is we decided, we, we, us, people, we decided that this little hour and 20 or 30 or 40 or 82 minutes, however long I'm going to preach today because nobody ever knows. We decided this was worship. God didn't decide that. We did. Is that wrong? Or is it right? Uh, Yes. Because you could make it something that it was never intended to be, and you can make it something that it was absolutely intended to be. How about this one? Paul's words again, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with spirit, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And I put this up here because the word speaking here when he's talking about singing is the exact same word that he used here when he told women not to talk in church. So we now have a male choir. Stop leading these songs with female vocalists leading the singing. You see how how crazy that sounds to us in our world today? It sounds nuts. Oh, this is the problem. This is the problem. When you try to take something in the New Testament and turn it into something that becomes super legalistic and law abiding or breaking. Grace and mercy. If God had written the New Testament in a way that he would tell us absolutely, unequivocally, how we're supposed to do our assemblies, I promise you he knew how to write that. He had all kinds of regulations for the priests in the Old Testament. Did he not? Did he not have, I mean, absolute specific things that they had to do in the temple? Did he not have that? And help me understand why he doesn't have the absolute specific writings for us in the New Testament. Is it so we can go off and do anything we want? No! It's not so we can do anything we want to do. Because everything should be done to bring honor and glory to the name of the Father. Amen and amen. Everything. And you know what in our church, our tradition has been? We don't have women preachers. And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, I'm only one elder. There's a bunch more. I'm just guessing the eldership in this church, we're not probably going to have a woman preacher anytime soon because it's not our tradition. It isn't who we are. I just want you to be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. 
but understand what the Lord's will is. And what is God's will? Let's just, let's just boil this thing down. What is God's will? His ultimate, absolute will. What is it? That people would what? Believe in Jesus the Christ. That's his absolute will. He wants us to believe in Jesus. His absolute will is if you don't accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I'll even go so far as to say if you're not baptized for the remission of your sins, because I believe that's essential, if you don't do that, guess what? When Jesus shows up and calls us all back to the judgment day, we got an answer for that. But God's absolute will is not exactly how we do church on Sunday morning. He left it kind of open. He didn't lay it all out for us verse by verse by verse by verse. He left us with some discretion. And thank God he did. Because if he didn't, and we had to do it exactly like the first century synagogue worship was, ladies, you probably would be in the balcony. And you probably would be required to remain absolutely quiet. And it would only be men down here who would be engaging in the worship and who would be engaging in reading and asking questions and anything else. And you would be obliged to sit upstairs and be quiet. But that's not what God asked us to do. And if you want to take that one even deeper, um, help me find somewhere in the Bible the historical command that even instituted synagogue, that even instituted synagogue service. It ain't in there. And do you know that Jesus himself even went to the temple to celebrate a holiday around this time of year? I think they call it Hanukkah. Do you know that's not in the Old Testament either? Help me figure that out. And then we have this woman deacon. That just blows us all out of the water. We don't know what to do with this because our tradition hasn't allowed women to be deacons, but they're just big as life. Romans 16, Paul writes, I commend to your sister Phoebe, who's a deacon of the church in Kenkrea, receiver in the Lord. She was a benefactor for many people, including me. A deacon is just one who serves the church, and a benefactor literally means one who's set over others. I don't know what role she had in the church. Paul doesn't elaborate, but I know she had a significant role. That doesn't fit our practice of church why because we love the verse of scripture that says the deacon should be the husband of one wife that's just what the book says that's what Paul wrote in another verse of scripture is anything wrong with that no it's what he wrote he also said elders should be the husband of one wife we kind of like that too I think that's biblical I think we should practice that but to say a woman can never do anything in the church no and we don't limit women to not do anything in the church we have a lot of women doing a lot of stuff in this church. Romans 15, I'm going to close with this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person of faith, uh, uh, faith allows him to eat anything. Another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must treat the one with contempt who doesn't. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God accepted both of them. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Have you noticed the beautiful decorations in this auditorium? Do you know why these are up here? It's Thanksgiving. No. 
It's the Christmas season. We put up a Christmas tree at my house Christmas Day. Oh, let me rephrase that. I put up a Christmas tree. Lynn reminded me this year that, you know, I haven't put up a Christmas tree in 10 years. I'm like, yes, because I always do it. She helped me decorate it. How many of you have a Christmas tree or will have one in your house? Guess what? We like the holiday. Is it in the Bible? Oh, it's not in there anywhere. The birth of Christ is in there. Yes, amen. Uh, yeah, so is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, amen. amen. Yeah. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. They give, both give thanks. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. I don't eat as much meat as I used to. Maybe I should eat more. None of us lives ourselves alone. None of us dies ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And that's what I want you to understand. We love the Lord. We live for the Lord. This is all about God. This is all about serving Him. You then, why do we judge a brother or sister? Why do we treat them with contempt? I know. I know that not everything I've said this morning, all of you agree 100% with me. I get that. And if I preach next week or next month or next year, the year after that or 10 years from today, I'm going to say things. You're like, Ed, where in the world did you get that? And I'm like, well, I just saw it, and I thought that's what it said. And I preached it, and I believed it. I wouldn't have preached it. We all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, so the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up our mind to put any, not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So let me share something with you right here. You want to know why the eldership at this church makes decisions oftentimes to do church, worship, whatever you want to call it, the way we do it? It's because we don't want to mess anybody up. My brother Ken DeBose, he's out being security guard today. I don't know if he's listening through his earphone or what, but Ken often makes a statement in our elders' meetings. He says, brothers, just because we can doesn't mean we have to. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad way sometimes to make decisions. We have a tradition. We have customs at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. And we've been loving on them and embracing them, and we've liked them for a long, long time. But I couldn't stand here today and tell you in 27 years from today that there'll be that exact same customs as we have today or what you had 25 years ago or 40 years ago when this church started. I can't tell you that. I don't have the ability to know that. But I know this. I know that the eldership that we have here today has a tremendous respect for this church and a tremendous heartfelt obligation to make sure that we don't do anything in this church that's going to cause division in this church. Can I get an amen on Sunday for that? That's not what this is about. I, you know, I appreciated Javon's sermon. I wish he'd have said it two and a half years ago. I asked him that Sunday right here in front of all y'all in case you didn't hear me. If you felt that strongly about this, why didn't you tell us two and a half years ago? Why did it take you so long to get around to it? 
And just because I may have an opinion or you may have an opinion about something doesn't mean the elders are going to, boom, change it like that tomorrow because it doesn't work like that. This means a lot. This church has had some real issues in the history of this church with instrumental music. Any of you around to remember that? Handful of you were? Yeah. Guess what? We're probably not going because we don't want to deal with that again. We're probably not going down that road. There are other churches. We went to Clint Fox's funeral service up at the church in Whittier. It's not called Church of Christ anymore. It's the Whittier, I forget the name of it, Christ, something Christian church. And I'm, I'm only presuming, I don't know, but I, I think they might use an instrument now. I'm not going to throw them under the bus for that, but I'm going to share this with you. This church probably isn't going down that road. Why would we do something? To cause division. Why would we do something to cause a brother or sister to stumble? That doesn't make any sense to me. So let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual education. To not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't destroy it because of the sake of how you feel about something. I won't either. Can we agree to that? So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves. Wow. And you thought this was just about grace and mercy. Guys, I'm telling you, our responsibility as brothers and sisters in the church is not to decide or get all bent out of shape or what we do or don't do in a worship assembly, but our responsibility is to truly accept one another as Christ accepted us and bring praise to God. That's what church, that's what worship is about. I want us to be a culturally relevant church so long as it is in keeping with what God's word says for us to be. You get where I'm coming from? I want us to be culturally relevant because if, because if, we, aren't, if we aren't, I can assure you those who are outside of the body of Christ, they have no interest in coming to be a part of us. But I also want you to understand this. Cultural relevance doesn't have very much to do with bringing someone to Jesus. What has relevance in bringing someone to Jesus is your personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with those people that are out there who don't know Jesus. That's what it's about. And as much as you and I have opportunity in whatever way we are blessed or however insignificantly we are blessed to be around those people who don't know Jesus and whatever we can do to say, to bring them to an understanding of who Jesus is, that's the real power of the gospel. Paul wrote in another verse, he says, I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? All the other stuff is important in some respect, but it isn't as important as that. That's the message of the gospel. It's Jesus. It's him crucified. It isn't how we do church. Because I promise you, when we all get to heaven, and we'll all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, we're going to be standing around, we're going to be looking at people like, you did what? You did what? Even if you look back within just our fellowship, just in the churches of Christ, history and our fellowship, let me tell you something. Thomas Campbell ain't real happy right now. Because how we have 
adapted ourselves to the message that he and Alexander Campbell tried to spread across this country, it's so different. It's so different. Is that good or bad? Yes. Yes. So when you leave here today, don't ask me any questions. Because you know my answer. Yes. Jesus said this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, if the Son has set you free, then you will be free indeed. And what is it he set us free from? He set us free from the power of sin. He set us free from the fear of eternal damnation. And he's given us the promise and the hope of eternal life because we believe in him. I believe in Jesus. I had a conversation just this last week with a gal. We were talking about the Bible. And she's struggling a little bit, her walk. And I said, have you listened to the words of Jesus? And I shared with her, I said, I've become a fan of the red letters. And by that, I simply mean, if you have a Bible and then the Gospels, they're the red letters of the words of Jesus, I'm a big fan of the red letters. Because when you read the red letters, and better yet, when you hear the red letters, when you listen to the red letters, it's different than how we sometimes have chosen to do church. I invite you to be a student of the red letters and to be a hearer of the word, to be a hearer of the word and see where God takes us. Brand is going to come and lead us in a song. As we sing this song, I invite you to consider your walk with Jesus. Just think about how you're living, what's going on. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, I invite you to come to the front of the church. We'll pray with you. We have the last couple of Sundays had the opportunity to pray with different people. I'd love to do that with you. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, and that's, that, that's not one of those things that's optional, guys. It's one of those things that's real. If you haven't done that, this is a great day. Why not start the 1st of December walking and living in Christ? Let's encourage one another and stand and sing. Hallelujah.